Get ready for a one-of-a-kind experience. Welcome, welcome to the Starter Zone, your home for the weekly news from around the world. Your host for this journey, Amanda. Will we honestly ever learn? She's going to bring you everything you need to hear about entertainment, gaming, and maybe just a little bit bizarre. Hold tight, because here she comes. Well, thank you, Raven, for that warm, warm welcome, as always. Hello there, my friends, and good day to you all. Welcome back to the Starter Zone. I am your guide, Amanda, and it is time to bring you all the headlines from all of the entertainment news sources. Well, today is October the 4th. We are officially in spooky season. Let's take a look at what we will be covering today. Well, we got some more bad news for the Aerosmith fans. Uh, Amazon's getting hit by a lawsuit again. The NVIDIA offices in France got raided. We got some problems for Starbreeze and one epic farewell to a great actor. All of this and more. Get comfy, everyone. Let's get started. I think we'll start off with some music news first, shall we? Well, we reported about a week or so ago about the band Aerosmith being on their farewell tour. 50 years they've been together, and they're now touring under a tour called Peace Out. I think it's pretty appropriate. Well, frontman Steven Tyler was told chill out on the singing for a few weeks. So Aerosmith initially postponed their September dates because Tyler had suffered this vocal cord damage during a performance that caused his throat to bleed internally. Really gnarly stuff. Well, they were then scheduled to start the tour in Tampa on October the 11th. Well, big hugs to all you fans. The damage is actually worse than it was first reported. On a Facebook post on the 29th of September, the band said they were forced to push their upcoming shows to, quote, sometime in 2024 after doctors confirmed that the singer had actually fractured his larynx. I was not even aware you could do that. And I really feel doubly bad about this because I have a cousin that literally just won tickets to that Tampa concert. So, Jessica, I am so sorry. Smith did write in a statement that Steven Tyler's receiving the best medical treatment available to ensure his recovery is swift. But given the nature of a fracture, he's just being told patience is essential. Tickets will be honored for the rescheduled tour dates, the band said, and refunds will be available when the new concert dates are announced. I'm going to go ahead and drop the link below to which dates and locations are currently affected. But for now, let's check out what's happening over on the entertainment side. So, apparently, 
the FTC, or Federal Trade Commission, and the attorney generals from 17 different states are now suing the e-commerce giant Amazon, alleging the company has exploited its power to maintain monopoly. Wait, what? This complaint was filed in the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Washington, and it alleges that Amazon has unlawfully leveraged its market dominance, curbing the competition. Specifically, look, the tech giant is accused of taking away prime shipping benefits to sellers who are offering lower priced products on different platforms, and they're burying product listings from sellers who are selling the products at a discounted price on another website. Amazon has faced similar allegations by the California Attorney General who filed a separate lawsuit last year. Okay, essentially, this is saying Amazon is just burying sellers that are utilizing multiple selling platforms that's undercutting Amazon pricing. With me? Okay. This is the second ongoing legal battle that the FTC has with Amazon. Back in mid-June, the regulator announced that it was suing the company for allegedly deceiving customers into signing up for Amazon Prime and then making it like this long trip to Mordor type quest for these people to just cancel the subscription. That case, still ongoing though. Personally, I can't blame these sellers for going to these other markets to try to sell their products, even if they have to undercut Amazon. There have been so many different listings and products that are now not impossible, but really difficult to sell. You've got to get permissions from, like, say, the manufacturer, or you've got to have this type of metric in order to be able to do it. So it makes total sense, at least from my standpoint, for a seller to go somewhere else to be able to sell their products. And if it just so happens to undercut Amazon, it happens to undercut, undercut Amazon. Uh, I'd like a little more information before making a judgment call on this one. I wouldn't be too surprised, though, if Amazon was guilty of this. They do want to hold on to as much of the market as they possibly can. I don't know that I would necessarily consider it a monopoly, but I'm not an absolute business person. So I'm going to watch this story a little bit further and see if we see any more information. I haven't seen anything on the other case, honestly, in, in a while. But uh, but let's be real. That one's ongoing. It's in the court system. So we're really not going to hear anything until they go back in front of a judge and a judgment's made. But as soon as I hear any more information... I'll let you know. In the meantime, though, the next story could be some good news for fans of The Office. So a new report from media veterans Matthew Baloney and Jonathan Handel at Puck News, well, they're claiming that a reboot of one of the most popular modern TV shows is on the way. Oh, my God. Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's the procedure, everyone? What's the procedure? Stay so during their show, Baloney and Handel claim that Greg Daniels, who actually co-created the American version of The Office, is set to do this reboot. And they also started discussing some upcoming projects because, well, the Writers Guild of America strike is coming to an end. So a lot of projects are getting the green light again. Well, back in 2022, Daniels told Collider that making The Office was just such a wonderful and rare experience. And he said he didn't want to go and disappoint people with a lackluster reboot when the show still had this enormous fan base of people watching reruns. And they're still watching reruns. The show's been off the air for 10 years. 10 years. 2013 was the last season. And people, I mean, I still have friends that talk about The Office. 
constantly. Memes, jokes, you name it. The fan base is still there. So to do a reboot 10 years later is, in my opinion, kind of ballsy because the memory of the of the the, the show, it's still very fresh in a lot of people's minds. So it does make me wonder why now and why not, you know, in 10 years, is it kind of the, the iron's still hot, so let's hit it? Mm, not sure. But as of 2022, Daniel said he had one idea for the reboot that was to feature a bunch of new characters and kind of what he calls the extension of the universe. Think Mandalorian is the spinoff to Star Wars. You know, shares the same universe featuring many new characters, though. The U.S. version of The Office, look, that was originally created in the U.K. by Ricky Gervais. And the U.S. version starred Steve Carell, his character named Michael Scott. It ran from 2005 to 2013. So there's a rumor floating around that there's a key player directly involved in the reboot. I went to the comments section and a bunch of the fans agreed on one major thing. I kind of saw a theme. If Michael Scott's character's not in this reboot, they're really not that interested. When he left the show, when Steve Carell left the show with with two seasons left, so he left, I think it was in 2011, the show still did well, but the interest definitely dwindled. He was the core. I mean, there are a lot of other good characters. You know, Jim and Pam still there, but it was really Michael and his character that kept it all together. So... We're going to see on this one. I, I don't know. I'm kind of skeptical. I, reboots. Reboots, man. There's always a reboot. Can we not do anything new? But reboot of The Office, that's just, I don't know. There's, I know Australia is doing their own version of The Office, and that's coming out relatively soon. And that one's kind of set against the background of COVID. So I'm going to be curious how that one works out. The original UK version, that was hysterical. And they did a great job Americanizing it and bringing it over. That was, it was such a fun show. So I just, I'm kind of skittish about the idea of a reboot. So, but anywho, let's go ahead and let's dive in a little bit deeper for our next story. And okay, so to be honest, I've been expecting this announcement since June 22nd. Why that date specifically? All right, let's find out all right time travel just a little bit back to june of 2023 y'all remember the submersible the titan quick review june 18th 2023 titan a submersible operated by american tourism and expeditions company oceansgate lost communications with its mothership the polar prince one hour and 45 minutes into a dive Debris was later discovered on June 22nd, and it was determined at that point that the Titan had imploded during the expedition. Their $250,000 a ticket mission was to go view the wreck of the Titanic in the North Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Newfoundland, Canada. The implosion resulted in five casualties, four passengers, and the CEO of Ocean Gate, who just happened to be piloting the vessel. Well, two weeks ago, Mind Riot Entertainment revealed that they were doing a new docu-series based on the tragedy of Ocean Gate's Titan Submersible. It was currently in the works. Okay, not so bad, right? Well, now they have announced a fictional sister project of the same name 
that is also being set for development. And there it is. I knew somebody was going to do it. I knew somebody was going to make a movie about it. Documentary, I could let that slide. Movie, uh, I had a feeling. So it's going to be titled Salvaged, and the narrative feature will explore the segments of time before they deployed the submersible, uh, during the search for the vessel, and after the wreckage of the Titan was uncovered. And according to Deadline... The blackening producer E. Brian Dobbins is on board to co-produce it. Okay. Interestingly, though, the docu-series is not just about the tragedy. It's actually more of a study about new media. So Mindfriant founder John Kesey said, quote, Our film will not only honor all of those involved in the submersible tragedy and their families, but will feature... The feature will serve as a vessel that also addresses a more macro concern about the nature of media today. The Titan tragedy is just yet another example of a misinformed and quick-to-pounce system, in this case, our non-stop 24-7 media cycle that convicts and ruins the lives of so many people without due process, unquote. So the, the Salvage docuseries is going to specifically hone in on the life of Kyle Bingham who served as Ocean Gate's mission director from 2018 to 2023. Now, Mind Riot said he was killed in the Titan implosion, and before the failed expedition, Bingham had previously conducted two successful trips to the Titanic and had taken dives all over the world. So they want to focus on him because he got a lot of flack for this disaster, and we're going to you know, research this. We're going to show you what kind of guy this, this, this person is. Okay. Well, despite being a fictional project, this film that they're doing is going to be promoted alongside Mind Riot's fresh crop of docu-series programming. Okay. Skepticism of these projects really already being well documented, especially in regards to Kyle Bingham. Number one, his lack of experience. He only had two dives prior to this one. James Cameron has more diving experience, but also this, Kyle's not dead. Kyle didn't die on the Titan, as Mine Riot's claiming. He was responsible for the safety on those on board, and in my opinion, I don't know how they're going to be able to paint this guy as a hero, but they say they're going to. But the fact that they're claiming that he died in the disaster, um... Yeah, big, big skepticism and definitely looking sideways at this one. And I know disaster films and documentaries, they make money for sure. But my question is this. Is it too soon to be doing this? There was a an infographic that I was looking at of like time in between a tragedy and a film or a documentary being made about the tragedy. And it averaged around three to five years, upwards to 10 in some cases, and longer, you know, for, for more of the big, more ancient tragedies, I guess. But two to three years, this tragedy happened back in June. I understand. It's not going to come out until next year. They're already actively working on it. We're three months off of this. We're three months, July, August, September, yeah, a little over three months since the Titan imploded. 
And I know, like I said, it's not going to come out until at least 2024. So maybe a year. To me, it almost seems disrespectful. But I guess, okay, going to look at it, look at it this way. A little bit of devil's advocate. If you're going to do it, work on it and interview the people involved while the memory is still fresh, while the details are still there and time hasn't had a chance to dull the memory and to take away some of those details. So I do get that, but it's almost like do that work and don't tell us that you're doing it. Don't announce it. Don't tell us, hey, yeah, we're putting out this docu-series about this tragedy that five people were involved in, four different families because there was a father and son that were on this trip. I guess, long story short, It just feels rushed. It feels predatory. And I just don't like it. Do I want more information? Yes. Why? Because I'm a very nosy individual. I want to know more about this kind of stuff. But it just, at this point, right now in 2023, to me, it feels wrong. Disagree with me. I beg you, disagree with me. Email me, comment, let me know what you really think about this one. But I'm having a little bit of a hard time with it processing this story just because it just it feels wrong. Like I said, I've been expecting it as soon as it happened. I I was even talking to Raven about it. And I said, just watch. Somebody's going to be coming out with an announcement soon about making a documentary about this. It took three months, but it's happening. But I'm going to stop soapboxing. I'd love to know your opinion. I'd love to know your feedback. Let me know what you think about the timing of this and how they're approaching it. And we'll revisit the story a little bit later down the road. I think it's time to download a little bit of gaming news. When I hear the word rating, and when I hear about it in terms of gaming, I start thinking back to my World of Warcraft days. Rating nights with the guild. Raven and I, we would go grab some Chinese food and we'd be up to like, what, two in the morning? Do you remember that? Yeah. Good times. Really good times. Okay, so not good times for NVIDIA this last week. NVIDIA has become known over the last decade for, you know, high-end graphics cards and various investments in AI hardware. And they've become like super popular. They also produce AI chips, and this is where this next concern is coming from. September 27th, the France Competition Authority raided NVIDIA's offices there, reportedly due to an investigation into anti-competitive practices. Uh This story was originally reported by Reuters, and while full details weren't provided, they did give a couple of hints as to exactly what's being investigated. So the French Competition Authority has revealed that their raid was following a broader inquiry into the cloud computing sector of the gaming industry. According to authorities, the inquiry revolves around concerns that cloud computing companies could and would use their access to computing power to start excluding smaller competitors. There was a statement that the authority posted on their website and is translated from French. So they said, Following authorization from a judge of liberty in detention, the investigation services of the French Competition Authority 
conducted a dawn raid at the premise of a company suspected of having implemented anti-competitive practices in the graphic card sector. This is part of the focus put on the cloud by the French Competition Authority, which was the subject of an opinion on competition in its sector, published June 29, 2023. Such dawn raids do not presuppose the existence of a violation of the law that could be attributed to the company involved in the alleged practices, which only a full investigation into the merits of the case could establish if appropriate, unquote. Okay, in plainer English, they're not saying NVIDIA actually did anything wrong at all. They're just saying, we have to investigate these concerns, and this is how we investigate. Dawn raids. And it just so happened that employees were actually coming into the office at that time. So they were greeted by authorities on their way in the door. I don't know about you, I'd have walked my tail right back out, got out of the way. Don't know what all they found there. Of course, they're not talking about it. It's just a, hey, we're investigating, and we will let you know if we find anything. Doesn't he wonder if there's some legitimate concerns about the anti-competition thing? I mean, this is the second story today that we've talked about, and the, the stories are becoming more and more prevalent. Are they, these companies, are these bigger companies just getting targeted because they're so big? Or is there a legitimate concern that they are shutting out the competition? I don't want to think that way. I don't want to think that they are shutting out the competition. I don't want to you know, say that they're trying to do a monopoly, but... It does get your brain thinking a little bit when you've got multiple stories like this with currently no resolution, at least not right now. But we'll update as we hear more. But for now, it's time to load up, boys, and it's time to talk some Payday 3. Payday 3, the hotly anticipated follow-up to Starbreeze's Payday 2, launched on September 21st, and wow, was it a steaming pile, I mean, you know, major disappointment. I am very disappointed. I literally just said that. Okay, do y'all remember, I talked about this upcoming game. What was my biggest concern? Being online always. And what happened? Okay, well, welcome to launch day. The game servers failed due to a massive influx of players and made the game almost unplayable since the game was, you know, online only. The outages lasted for days. People who purchased the silver or the gold editions on PlayStation 5 couldn't even play for up to like 18 hours because Sony released the wrong version of the game. Oops. Major kerfluffle. I couldn't even get in. And I ended up watching like so many Twitch streamers just, you know, talking, chatting with their chat while they're having to wait. I mean, it was just so bad. Starbreeze did a scheduled maintenance last week, and they have announced that they fixed the matchmaking issues that were occurring. So matchmaking is now stable, and they've had good performance since. All right, well, despite these matchmaking improvements, Payday 3's Steam page still carries a mostly negative user review rating with 30% of the nearly 30,000 user reviews being positive. It is worth noting that <laughs> there are more people currently playing Payday 2 on Steam than they're playing Payday 3, and I might be one of them. Now, here's a question. Other than the connectivity issues like the one Payday 3 was having, what is something that the gaming community collectively cannot stand, but they keep buying? 
if you said loot boxes, congratulations, you get a cookie. Hmm. Cookie. Okay, sorry. Got a little bit distracted there. EA Sports. It's in the game. Oh, EA, we have not talked about you for a hot minute. What have you been up to? All right. So, EA Sports FC24, which is the latest soccer game in the series that was previously known as FIFA. It's only been out since the 22nd of September. For players that subscribe to, like, EA Play Pro or the ones that purchase that $100 Ultimate Edition version, well... It's been up for over a week, and the loot box antics are already causing some fans to collectively lose their minds in frustration. All right, a little bit of a background. One of the bundles that's being offered in the store is called the Elite Season Opener Pack. This pack promised 45 rare gold non-tradable players that are rated 80 or higher, but it also includes two loan cards, or rather players that can be loaned out to other teams. As IGN reports, the Elite Season Opener Pack went up for sale shortly after the Pro launch, even before the game became available to everyone else starting on the 29th of September. So that was strike one. Many fans who actually splurged on this package have mostly gotten sub-90 players or duplicates of ones that they already own. By the way, that sub-90 and that rating 80 or higher that's their skill level that the rating is basically the skill level just for you know side note so to pay all this money and get players that are, are sub what they expected is just aggravating as all get out okay fifa's most popular gaming mode by far is what they call ultimate team this sees players grinding or they're paying to unlock packs of pro player cards that they can then use to create this all-star roster to compete against one another in online multiplayer. It's economy-driven by gambling mechanic, and it's keeping these players coming back each year to buy the newest annual release in the series. And it also, look, let's be honest, this is lining electronic arts' pockets with revenue from the, all these microtransactions. Well, EA Sports FC24, no different. Though the timing and the price of this opener pack has a lot of players feeling like the company is really just turning these screws way more aggressively than normal. Players who don't opt to spend the money are potentially going to be at this big disadvantage as they're going on this latest Ultimate Team campaign. And those who do fork over the money may end up regretting it because given how stacked against some of these odds are, somebody ran the numbers and the probability of unlocking a gold card 90 plus player is 5.6%. And some fans have spent $30 on this pack and they got nothing worth value. So a lot of hurt feelings and bad feelings about this already. Some fans were even joking that the pack is just, it's so outrageous. It's like an intelligence test to see who actually buys it. There are some content creators, you know, the ones that have the money to burn, you can watch them opening these packs just for the adrenaline rush and for the clout. But nonsense like this hasn't necessarily hurt FIFA's popularity in the past. And uh, FC24, their review scores weren't really affected either. They're basically the same scores as the last games. But I swear, every year, 
the community, the gaming community complains about these loot boxes. And EA is usually the front runner of all these complaint sessions. But the reality is, as long as there are people out there buying them, there's no incentive for companies to stop. So, long story short, you want them to stop the loot boxes? Stop buying them. And now, for the saddest part of the show, our Memorial of the Week. It seems like every week we lose somebody in the entertainment business that has had a major impact. And this week was just, it was no different. September the 28th, it was announced that Sir Michael Gambon, the British-Irish actor, notable for his portrayal of Professor Albus Dumbledore in Harry Potter series, has passed away at the age of 82. This man's acting career spanned for over 60 years, starting with Shakespeare, going to Broadway, and finally to the big screen. But he was more than just Professor Dumbledore. And we're not starting a conversation about that line from Goblet of Fire. We're going to leave it alone. To me, he was Baltus Van Tassel in Sleepy Hollow, George the Cannibal in Book of Eli, fantastic movie, by the way. And for me, finally, he was the voice of Uncle Pestuzo in Paddington series. Wands up in tribute, my friend. But do remember, after all, to the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure. Do not pity the dead, Harry. Pity the living. And above all, all those who live without love. Not crying. Ninjas cutting onions in here. All right, let's check out the box office breakdown, shall we? It's time for the box office breakdown. Well, The Nun 2 has been holding, well, you know, quite steady in the top spot, but we did have a lot of new releases this past weekend. All right, well, if that wasn't clear enough, the box office went to the dogs this weekend and it did it in a mighty way. Paw Patrol the Mighty Movie scared off fellow freshman releases Saw X and the creator with $23 million to take the number one spot. Parents and kids made up like 90% of the audience in North America, which this movie only cost like $30 million to produce before marketing. And it's following the success of the 2021 Paw Patrol the movie that really helped solidify Paramount Chief Brian Robbins' standing. That film, Paw Patrol the movie, opened to $13.1 million domestically, and it turned into like this sleeper hit. It grossed like $140 million globally, which is a pretty notable figure considering it was released like still during the pandemic and it was a simultaneous release on Paramount+. Plus. A third film is already on the way, though, expecting it eh, about 2026. I did happen to see the first one in theaters. The first one was an absolute blast. There was so much content for the kids as well as the adults. Lots of cool jokes for the adults, but, you know, clean humor. It's Paw Patrol. So I'll be heading out this week for the Mighty Movie. Saw X came in second place, $18 million in North America. And while that's really, it's hardly a bad start for a film that, you know, only cost $13 million to make before marketing, 
it had kind of hoped to silence Paw Patrol and come in at number one. And the optimism, you know, that wasn't unwarranted. Saw X landed the best reviews of any film in the current Saw series. Audiences gave the film a B on CinemaScore, which is considered, you know, relatively good mark for the horror genre. Well, the Saw, the Saw franchise, um, I took a look at the numbers. It's grossed more than a billion dollars beginning all the way back in 2004. Saw X, it's taking place between the events of the second and third installments and shows the killer Jigsaw as he's traveling to Mexico to receive this experimental treatment for cancer. It finds out it's a scam and horrible shenanigans ensue. The creator followed in third place domestically with, you know, 14 million and stars John David Washington as a man put in the middle of a war between humanity and AI. So there's our top three. Where did the nun two go? Well, slipped back to fourth place with 4.6 million. And rounding out the top five was The Blind, which is a faith-based biopic from Fathom Events, spearheaded by the Robertson family of Duck Dynasty fame. This is set back in 1960s Louisiana, and the film is telling this real-life story of how the family patriarch, Phil Robertson, conquered his demons, including addiction, before they could destroy the family. We had a lot of successful new releases this week, but just a reminder, The Exorcist Believer is coming out this weekend for those of the horror inclined. Now let's go check out what odd news did I dig up this week. And now for something different. Our odd news this week, it's just a little more odd than normal. We've got two stories involving the Guinness Book of World Records. For our first story, we're heading to the Ukraine. So a Ukrainian strongman put his teeth to the test by using his mouth to break two Guinness World Records for playing cards. Dmitryo Horonsky, 34, took on the record for most cars pulled with the teeth and managed to haul six cars with drivers, a total weight of 16,763 pounds. And now my mouth really hurts. Each car was put into neutral, but it was required to have a driver behind the wheel, you know, to ensure that the vehicles remain in a straight line and in case of emergency. Harunsky then attempted the record for the fastest 30 meter, which is 98.4 feet, car pull with the teeth and pulled a 2,293 pound taxi cab to the required distance in 15.6 three seconds. Wow. The bodybuilder told Guinness World Records, my hobby is extreme power tricks and my goal is to be a multiple record holder. He previously set the record for the heaviest train pulled by the neck by hauling a 71,650 pound train back in 2022. That is absolutely amazing and I bet his dentist and chiropractor absolutely loves him. Now we're going to go check out the other Guinness World Record applicant and see what her lofty goal was all about. A 104-year-old Chicago woman is now hoping to be certified as the oldest person to ever skydive after making a tandem jump on October the 1st and landing 13,500 feet later 
at a northern Illinois airport. Dorothy Hoffner told a cheering crowd moments after touching the ground at Skydive Chicago Airport in Ottawa, which is about 85 miles southwest of Chicago. She said, age is just a number. So the Guinness World Record for the oldest skydiver was set back in May of 2022 by a 103-year-old by the name of Linnea Ingard Larsson from Sweden. But Skydive Chicago is working to have Guinness World Records certify Hoffner's jump as a record. She first skydived at the age of 100. And she had to be pushed out of the aircraft. I totally get that. But this past Sunday, the 1st, tethered to a U.S. Parachute Association certified instructor, Hoffner insisted on pleading the jump this time. She looked calm. She looked confident when the plane was aloft and the aft door opened to reveal the tan-cropped fields far below. She shuffled towards the edge and leaped into the air. The dive only lasted seven minutes, and in my opinion, that probably felt closer to a lifetime. The plane actually beat Hoffner to the ground after her parachute opened for a slow descent. The wind pushed her hair back. She clung to the harness draped over her shoulders, but picked her legs up as the ground neared and plopped onto the grassy area at the airport. Her friends and family rushed in to share congratulations, and someone brought her walker you know, just to help her up. She rose pretty quickly, and a reporter asked her, Hey, how's it feel to be back on the ground? She said, it's wonderful, but it's wonderful up there, too. The whole thing was delightful. Couldn't have been better. But after her jump, Hoffner's mind quickly turned to the future and other challenges. The lifelong Chicagoan, who is set to turn 105 in December, said she might take a ride in a hot air balloon next, because why not? Well, okay, so we looked at the Aerosmith update, the NVIDIA raid, the Amazon lawsuit. Uh, the Titan sub is back in the news. We looked at what's going on at EA, said a goodbye to Sir Michael, and looked at a couple of potential world record holders. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. I do want to remind you, I include the links to all of my sources in the comments so you can see what I see and more. Also, don't forget to drop a comment or send us an email if there is a story you want us to cover. Join us next time as we check out the latest in entertainment news. Remember, guys, stay comfy in the starter zone. This is Amanda. Good luck and have fun. to the starter zone with amanda i am raven we thank you for your time and support without you we simply would not be please hit that like and subscribe button and visit us on facebook and twitter at the starter zone have we missed something have something to say leave us a comment or send us audio clips for your chance to be on the show. We invite you to come back for more exciting news and commentary on the world around you. See you next time in the Starter Zone.